To give someone a name is to exercise authority over them. Parents name their children. Adam named the animals, but no one named God. Rather, God reveals his name to us. There are various names of God in Scripture. In the three sermons in this series so far, we've looked at the name God, uh, the most basic name for God in the Bible. Uh, We've looked at the name Lord, uh, sometimes translated as Jehovah or or Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Uh, And then last time we looked at the wonderful name of Jesus. Tonight we're coming to a name of God which is uh, one of the most common names of God in in Scripture, other than the three we've already looked at. But also probably one of the least understood names of God. How would you answer the question, what is God's name? Uh, How how might you have answered it this morning? How would you fill in the blank? Our Redeemer, blank is his name. Well, Isaiah tells us it's the Lord of hosts. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name. That's the name of God which is used almost 300 times in the Bible. It's one we've all heard before. Uh, We sing it often in the Psalms. The boys and girls know it from the story of David and Goliath. Uh, Boys and girls, what does David say to Goliath? He says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Uh, And that's the name that we want to think about this evening, the Lord of hosts. Because even though it's well known, even though we sing it often, we might not be particularly clear on what it means because you can't really tell just by reading it. Uh, So we're going to think uh, tonight simply, uh, firstly, about the meaning of the word host. Uh, So firstly, what is a host? Uh, We we read in the Bible, not just about the Lord of hosts, but we read about about hosts. We've sung uh, earlier about hosts praising God from Psalm 148. So what is a host? Some of God's names are pretty self-explanatory. When God calls himself Almighty God, even if someone hasn't been in church before, they can probably understand what Almighty means. Or when God calls himself the living God, it's obviously telling us that he is the God who is really alive in contrast to the gods that people worship around us. But what about the Lord of hosts? It's not quite that simple. Today we use the word host in relation to hosting an event or providing uh, something for people, hosting people for a meal, hosting them uh, to stay over. But that's not the sense in which host is used in our Bibles. One way that we do use the word host that comes closer to what the Bible means is when we use the word host to mean a lot of something. So you might say that someone has written a whole host of books Or someone has given you a whole host of reasons to do something. And the reason that we use the word host in that sense is that a host was originally an army. A big company of armed men was a host. You might be familiar with the phrase the Highland Host. That was a group of 
5,000 soldiers uh, from the highlands who were sent down to oppress the Covenanters in the 1600s. So a host is an army, a group of soldiers. And sometimes the Hebrew word behind host is translated in our Bibles as army. Uh, Sometimes it's translated as company, uh, as a company of people. Sometimes it's translated as battle. There's not just a military word. Just as we can talk about about a whole host of books or a whole host of reasons, uh, so the Bible can talk uh, about a host of people. And it's, it's not just in a military sense. It can refer to the people of Israel in general. Uh, So Exodus 7, God tells Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand in Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Why is the word hosts used there? Well, just because there's so many of them. And the word host, it isn't just applied to people. The first use of the word host in the Bible is Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. What does it mean when it says all the host of them? Well one commentator says it means the totality of the beings that fill heaven and earth. So it can refer in general to created beings. It can also refer to the sun, moon and stars and particularly the stars. Almost 20 times in our Bible we have the phrase the host of heaven. The first time it occurs is when Moses warns the people in Deuteronomy 4. Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and moon and stars and all the host of heaven. You be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. So there the host of heaven is the sun, the moon and the stars. Or there's Jeremiah 33, 22, which says, The host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be counted. So the host of heaven that can't be numbered, what's that? It's the stars. But the same phrase can also be used to describe angels and even demons. First Kings twenty two nineteen, we have the prophet Micaiah, who says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven beside him at his right hand and on his left. And Isaiah 24 tells us that a day is coming when the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. Obviously God isn't going to punish the stars So Isaiah's message is that whether someone is a human being or a rebellious angel, no one will escape God's punishment. Psalm 148, which we began by singing this evening, is divided into those in heaven and those on earth. But this time it's those who praise God, not those who are punished punished by God. And the angels there in verse 2 of Psalm 148, they're called angels, but they're also called hosts. Uh, Before the next verse goes on to speak about sun, moon and stars. One final reference which very clearly speaks of of the hosts as angels is Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. His ministers who do his will. That's not ministers as in human ministers, but ministering angels. Uh, 
So God's hosts in this passage clearly refer to angels. So that's the meaning of the word hosts. When it is used, it is talking about a vast company of created things. Sometimes human soldiers, sometimes stars, sometimes angels. So what does it mean to call God the Lord of hosts? If that's what a host is, what does it mean to call God the Lord of hosts? Uh, Well, that's uh, the second thing we want to look at this evening, which is why God is called the Lord of hosts. Why, Why is God called the Lord of hosts? Well, on the most basic level, this name for God means that the host of heaven worships him. He is the God of the, the host of heaven. And a host is not a handful. A host is not a handful. I read an incredible stat this week, uh, which said that if, that if the USA today wanted to match ancient Rome's investment in their military, they would need to have a standing army of just under 13 million serving soldiers. So that's well over 10 times what they have at the minute. The Roman Empire's investment in their army wouldn't be matched by another empire for another millennium and a half until the days of Frederick the Great and Napoleon. And the Roman Empire, that's the empire in which Jesus lived. What a vast army Rome had. How great were the hosts of Rome. And yet it was a drop in the bucket compared to the hosts uh, that the Lord Jesus could have called on. Daniel 7, 10, a thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Revelation 5, 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. As John Milton once put it in a poem, His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed. What do we need to hear when we feel outnumbered as Christians? When we feel like we're fighting a losing battle? When we feel like the cause of Christ is hanging by a thread? What we need to remember firstly as Milton realised in that poem uh, that God doesn't need us. Uh, When Milton wrote those words he had gone completely blind uh, at age 42. He he was wondering how he could keep serving God. And Milton realised in that poem, in that sonnet, he said, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. God doesn't need the, the work that we can do for him. Uh, and anything we do for God is simply using a gift that God himself has already given us. So, so we need to rem- remember firstly that although God chooses to use us, although he gives us the great privilege of being involved in his work, he doesn't actually need us, which is a freeing thing. So when we feel outnumbered, Firstly, we need to remember that God is so glorious that he doesn't actually need us. But then we also need to remember that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Remember, Elisha's servant, 
Uh, we read about it earlier. He, he looks out and he sees an army with horses and chariots all around the city. And he's terrified. He thinks they're doomed. Alas, my master, what shall we do? But Elisha says, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prays and says, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. One Bible translation translates the Lord of hosts as the Lord of heaven's armies. And that's pretty good. When we feel outnumbered, we need to remember that the Lord of heaven's armies is on our side. We look at the media and it's so hostile and so, and so devious in the way they phrase things. We look out at the world and perhaps all we can see is apathy or antagonism. But we need to remember that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What do we need to hear when the nations rage and kingdoms totter? As Psalm 46 puts it. Well, we need the truth that comes in the very next verse of that psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The translation of the Old Testament that the apostles used, it it tended to translate Lord of hosts as the Almighty or, or Lord of powers. And it's all giving a sense of the majesty and glory of this great God who is on our side. Today we sometimes hear the word entourage. A, a boxer is accompanied by an entourage before a fight. Celebrities have an entourage when they travel. Uh, people who all have different roles and responsibilities. And one resource describes the host of heaven as the heavenly entourage of Yahweh. It was in the news during the week that Taylor Swift had given her entourage Bonuses totaling $55 million after her recent tour. Every truck driver got $100,000. I'm not sure how big her entourage is. But the more significant the celebrity, the bigger their entourage tends to be. And in a similar way, the hosts surrounding the throne of God show his glory as king. If God had four angels surrounding the throne... That wouldn't be that impressive. Four angels, not that impressive, but he has thousands upon thousands, myriads upon myriads. Think about Isaiah's vision of the Lord sitting on the throne. And the throne is surrounded by seraphim, burning angels. And one calls to another and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah sees his glory and majesty and says, Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Later in the book, uh, King Hezekiah prays and says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, of course, with with a celebrity and the, the entourage that surrounds them, At the end of the day, the celebrity and the entourage, they're no different. The celebrity is more more famous than their entourage, but they're just a human being, even if they forget it at times. 
But God is different from those around him. He is the creator and they are the creatures. Psalm 89 asks, Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Who who are the counsel of the holy ones in Psalm 89? They're, They're the angels. And the psalm goes on, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Someone has summed it up by saying, throughout the scriptures, the Lord of hosts is a solemn, royal name of God, full of majesty and glory. That's what we should think of when we read and sing about the Lord of hosts, his majesty and his glory. He's a king surrounded by regimented hosts of angels, governing the world as the Almighty, and in his temple receives the honour and acclamation of all his creatures. So to call God the Lord of hosts, it is a a glorious and exalted name. And yet amazingly, he is the God who comes to the aid of his people. He's king of all, surrounded by angels, but he comes to the aid of flesh and blood. When we looked last time at the name Jesus, we saw that it's the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. Just as Joshua leads the people into the earthly promised land, so Jesus leads us into the heavenly promised land. And there was actually a point in history on earth when Joshua and Jesus stood side by side. It's recorded for us in Joshua 5. Joshua sees a man with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua asks him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he replies, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the ground and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord said his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army tells Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place you're standing is holy ground. An echo of Moses meeting with God at the burning bush. And there can be no doubt that the man who Joshua sees, the the man that Joshua worships, is uh, God himself. Uh, Specifically an an appearance of the Lord Jesus before his incarnation. Uh, And what we particularly want to notice about that is what the Lord Jesus calls himself. He calls himself the commander of the Lord's army. Uh, The word army there is literally... uh, the word host as it's translated in in some older versions so jesus is the commander of the lord's hosts where are joshua and the people at this point well they've taken the first step of faith into the promised land Uh, they've crossed the river Uh, boys and girls you might know the name of the river that they crossed to go into the promised land it was the river jordan and they're about to go up against the city of jericho And here the Lord Jesus himself appears as commander of the Lord's hosts to appear to to, uh, reassure Joshua. Yes, when Joshua says, are you for us or for our adversaries? Uh, The commander of the Lord's army says, no. In other words, it's not so much whether God is on our side. The bigger question is whether we're on his side 
But God's people going into the promised land is a God's command. They previously hadn't entered the promised land because of sinful disobedience and fear. And at this crucial moment, as they're facing that great city of Jericho, the commander of the Lord's hosts appears to Joshua to reassure him that he is with them. So this name, the Lord of hosts, yes, it speaks of God's glory and his majesty, but he's not a God who's distant from us. He's not a God who's distant from us. At Joshua's moment of need, he appears. And at your moment of need, you can be assured that the 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 commander of the Lord's hosts, the Lord Jesus. He is not distant from you. You know, on earth, the, the bigger someone's, someone's entourage is, the bigger their retinue, the less chance you have of getting close to them, the less chance you have of speaking to them. But it's not like that with God. One of the two times that the phrase the Lord of hosts is used in the New Testament is in James 4 verse 2 where James condemns the rich. And he says, Behold the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields which you have kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So you have there those low-paid and at times unpaid labourers, unjustly unpaid labourers, they had no one they could appeal to. No one on earth they could appeal to. But their cries reached to the ears of the Lord of hosts. What an amazing thing. The, The myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels around him don't stop the cries of his people reaching his ears. You know, maybe if someone starts off as a, as a, as a local counsellor, if you want to speak to them, you can. But, but then maybe they, they become a, an MSP or an MP down in Westminster and it gets harder and harder to talk to them. And the higher, the higher ranking they become, maybe they become in the cabinet and you have a hope of talking to them. But it's not like that with the Lord of hosts. The cry of these oppressed labourers comes to his ears and of course the great greatest demonstration that the Lord of hosts is with us came at the cross there the commander of the Lord's hosts came but he came not as a warrior but as a sacrificial victim think of Peter drawing his sword in the garden of Gethsemane as if the commander of the Lord's hosts needed defended As Jesus himself said, do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But the Lord did not call on his hosts. The Lord did not call on his hosts because how then would the scriptures have been fulfilled? How then could we have been saved? What hope could we have had? But if you reject this salvation, you will have no hope. We thought of the angels surrounding the throne being like like an entourage, being like a retinue. And the ultimate display of that will be seen on the judgment day 
when the Son of Man will come with his angels, flanked by his angels, as it were, in the glory of his Father, and will repay each person according to what he has done. If it is great reassurance for us to have the Lord of hosts on our side, what would it be to have the Lord and his hosts marching against us? And on that day there will be no hiding from him, only in him. There will be no hiding from him, only in him. Only if we trust in Jesus now will we be able to stand then. But if our trust is in him, then when we are in trouble, and even if the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we can confidently sing words that we would not have dared write ourselves. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Well, let's sing those very words now as we turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, the first six verses. Psalm 46, page 94. Page 94, the first six verses. To sing that the Lord of hosts is, is with us, or as we sing in verse 6, the Lord of hosts is on our side. Those are two phrases that, that we would think wouldn't go together. Uh, the, the Lord of hosts, it, it speaks of how exalted he is. It speaks of his majesty and his mighty power. But in the very same breath, as we call him the Lord of hosts, we can say the Lord of hosts, the, the God of heaven's armies, he is with us. The myriads and myriads of angels that surround him do not make him distant from us. And he has demonstrated above all at the cross that he is with us. And if he has done that for us all, if he has done the great thing for us, how will he not be to us everything that we need this week? How uh, will he not give us all that we need? So tune 165, tune Stroudwater 165, uh, Psalm 46, 1-6, we'll stand to sing praise. <laughs> 